Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Outkick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour is here alongside Lance Lee, Jacob Swanson. Let's just name everybody. The whole village. David Reed, the chairman of the board, making the show happen. Regan McCrossin, Jake Popoff, Becca Risley. Sleepy Danny. Good morning, Danny. As we reach the afternoon, Chad Withrow, Paul Koharski, Jonathan Hutton, and across the Outkick Network, our great staff. Um, guys, a lot to hit over the weekend. We're going to talk a lot of Titans this hour. Also, uh, Tennessee and Vandy advancing to Omaha in the College World Series. Um, but let's start with the Titans. Mandatory minicamp happening this week. Paul, starting, what, tomorrow through Thursday as they get some work in with the, the mandatory work on top of many of the veterans already reporting for the voluntary work last week. Questions remain, though, about the tight end position. Yeah, well, first off, we're going to see some guys for the first time. I, I think A.J. Brown and, uh, and Bud Dupree and Taylor Luan aren't going to participate, right, based on their injury recovery stuff. Uh, but we haven't seen Janoris Jenkins yet. We haven't seen Derrick Henry yet this offseason. Caleb Farley will also be in. So it'll be interesting to see some of these guys um, for the first time. Uh, Jared Pinckney, an odd one who hasn't been around, and Jeff Swing. So Jeff Swain will be out there. Um, I wrote about the tight ends, uh, my last piece from last week. And, uh, you know, Mike Vrabel doesn't offer up a lot about guys' roles and the like. But he really did say that Ferkser is what we think Ferkser is, the third down guy, red zone Possession guy. guy. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, you know, we're going to have to wait till we see guys in pads to really judge the rest of the crew and see what we're doing on, on first and second down, basically, where Swaim is the leader and these other guys will, will fill in. I think they're content to give up a, a lot of what they were getting from a Johnu Smith or Delaney Walker type in exchange for A.J. Brown. They still played the most two tights last year, 35%. That's going to go down, but I don't think it's going to go all the way down. Um, and these guys, you know, Anthony Ferkser is one of these guys. I, 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 we see these guys sometimes. He goes from the most underrated guy to the most overrated guy in a span of very little time. Overrated by who, though? By, by a lot of fans who are telling me, there's no problem at tight end. Ferk, just, I believe in Ferk. You know, like in J-Rob, we trust. In Ferk, we trust. Like Ferk's just going to take over what Johnny Smith was doing, which is a ridiculous proposition. Yeah. I like Ferkser, but Ferkser's not blocking an outside linebacker or a defensive end. Right. Ferkser's going to get steamrolled by those he's guys. He's a possession and receiver. And Ferkser's not going to run away from people, and he's not going to run over people. He's going to make reliable catches, and he'll be where he's supposed to be. He's got great hands. He's very good at what he is. But don't pretend that he's Johnny well, Smith. He's, yeah, he's, not. A, he's a bigger but slower Adam Humphreys. He is a big, yeah. big possession receiver. He's not right. an inline blocking guy. He's not dynamic, but he's a good possession receiver. No, and beyond that, that, that's the role he can be. Is he making the contested catches the way John o. Smith did? I don't think so. No, no, he'll make a catch where he's got room to make a and, catch. And the, the example Goliath. I'll use is two years ago in the playoff game, the first touchdown catch by John o. Smith in the corner of the end zone. 
Ferkser can't do it's that. Not against Baltimore. To make that catch. He, uh, what did I say? I'm against sorry. Baltimore. Yeah. Against the Baltimore. Game, yeah. yeah, in the playoff game, yeah. The he, dive and catch that, yes, that in the corner got of the them end ahead zone. when they needed to build that lead. Ferkser's not doing that. He's, no. he's going to be reliable up the middle of the field, up the seam. You know, he's, he's a good he, player, but he's a role player. Just yeah, a good receiver from the tight end position. But you're right, Jeff Swaim is going to be that inline blocker. He's going to be the guy that's attacking the line of scrimmage. It's not going to be Anthony Ferkser. No. And, and this is a neon light situation run pass. If one of them's on the field, you're right. I think, to a degree. Now you're going to have to throw some to Swain, and you're going to have to have Ferkser block on the line sometimes. Otherwise, you're telling people what you're doing all the time. Now the Titans aren't afraid of telling people what they're doing. Look, they're not afraid for you to know that Derrick Henry's about to run, and they're not afraid for you to know that they're probably throwing to AJ Brown. And now that mm-hmm. that's diffused, they're, they're not afraid for you to know, hey, we're in three wide and we're probably throwing here to one of our three good receivers. Too great. But you don't want to do that too much, you know. And in a third and medium, you want there to be intrigue, mystery. You, you don't want the defense to be able to put its personnel on the field to stop one thing. So in, in, in the line of he's gone from the most overrated to the most, most underrated, most underrated to, overrated. to most overrated, how much are we overrating the tight end value of Jonu Smith to what this offense needs to be with Todd Downing? Now? Yeah, I mean, are are we overemphasizing the fact that they have not done enough at tight end, given the fact that they've done more than enough to replace Corey Davis? Well, look, they know what they don't have. I mean, it's not like they're plotting for a great two tight end offense around Swaim and Ferks, or I, I wouldn't think. And given that they have three, you know, they're going to deploy their best personnel. Their best personnel now is three wide. Yes. So that thirty-five percent is coming down. What's it coming down to? I don't think it's going down to 15%, do you? They're dropping at 20%? No. 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 It'll be substantially less, but it's not going to be they're still, 15%. They're still going to load up and run the football. So, you know, and, and the other thing is the tight end in the five eligible receivers doesn't rank as high now, right? Last year, the tight end was going to rank ahead of Khalif Raymond or or whoever the third wide receiver was. Humphreys, when he was healthy, ranked there. But when Humphreys was out, that third wide receiver, if it was Westbrook, Akina, or who else was in the mix there, those guys weren't outranking Johnny Smith. Now Josh Reynolds will be outranking Anthony Ferkser. Darrington Evans may be outranking Anthony Ferkser. There was Good. no running back who was outranking Johnny Smith last year in terms of the five eligible receivers. So it's downgraded some. Yes, it's less important. A lot of people in my Facebook group are telling me, well, you're just overrating the importance of the tight end. Well, he still has to be rated somewhere. You well, don't just forget one of your five eligibles. And, and how quickly we forget the, the struggles that this team had at offensive tackle last year to the point where they had to go too tight in order to max protect for their quarterback. Right, and we don't know about that right tackle now. Well, we know about the left tackle. But and we know by the way, Taylor Lewan could one, conceivably miss the first couple games. They're, they're one injury away. They're another Taylor Lewan injury away from being right back where they were. And I know you can't always worry about in, injuries are going to happen to every team. But you know they, were, they made it through the offensive line concerns and injuries last year because of their depth at the tight end position. And because Jonu Smith was a multifaceted chess piece. He wasn't the best blocker, but he did enough. Ferkser's not that He's type big, of guy. He's a big, strong guy. They're the, roughly the same size, but John Smith is a muscled guy. Anthony Ferkser is not nearly as muscled. Right. And, and look, Kendall Lamb, Ty Sambrilo, or Dylan Radins, 
all have question marks in terms of how well they're going to be able to pass protect, especially early for Raidens. And so you're probably going to need a tight end, uh, particularly on a longer passing down, to help protect there. So Lawan's going to take care of his stuff on his own. You don't have to worry about left tackle help anymore. But you're probably going to have to worry about right tackle help. And that means a tight end helping there. And that starts with Swain. Question coming from our YouTube chat. What's going on at kicker? <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and look, that's it sounds you know funny with Julio Jones news and everything else we've been talking about today, the lack of tight end. But that is a concern right now. Well, I think Gostkowski is there if you want him, and they probably look hard at Tucker McCann and Blake Hobbiel. Uh, I would, I would go ahead and go on a limb and say that he's if he's not there right now, they don't want him. No, I wouldn't say that. I'd say if these guys don't satisfy, that they'll go get him. That's not a good option. That does not well, seem I don't like know a solid who, I kicking don't know option. who else is out there. He kicked well after they changed uh, snapper last Paul, year. Paul, you're being awfully flippant about kicker for and someone who was not flippant at all about kicker and thought they were way too cavalier about kicker well, a while back. I think they'll have a kicker um, by the time they need a kicker. So I mean, if they're sounds like if, Mike Vrabel. What you If their plan is to look at these two guys and fall back to Guskowski, who doesn't seem to be going anywhere else, I I think that's all right. Guskowski wasn't great last year either. He wasn't great, but he got he was bad early and he settled in. I think he was pretty good once they got the long snapper thing uh, settled. Now they have a very good uh, one of the best long snapper. Uh, so I, I I'm hopeful that that's fixed it. But they don't seem to be concerned about kicker until they start kicking. Taylor Lewan tore his ACL in October. Yeah, 10 months. And you think he could meet, miss the first couple games? Well, he should be ready. But in a bad case scenario, you're not at your full game until 10 months. So there's been a setback. No, I'm not saying there's been a setback. I just did a post last week looking at it. Bud Dupree, I don't think, is is going to be ready. Or that's a very well, optimistic Well, Bud Dupree thing. tore his ACL in December. Yeah, beginning of December. I mean, there's, a two should month, be ready. there's a two-month difference between the injuries there. Yeah. Lawan should be ready. I'm just the Tennessee Titans over the last possible. two years, 14-6 and six with Taylor Lawan in the lineup. They are 8-8 eight and eight without him. Yeah, that's uh, significant. They, and he, he did it to himself. a lot of what they he, do. He did it to himself the first time. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I'm going back two years to when he was suspended for the first month. But, you know, uh, over the last two years, he's been available for about half the games. That's yeah. got to change That needs this to change. Year. They need a 17-game year out of Taylor Lewan this year, period. Um, and it's not just – I mean, the knee injury is bad, but he also has had a lot of shoulder concerns. And I would imagine yeah. he's worked hard to strengthen those things during this rehab process for the knee. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but and I know he's coming off the ACL, but I, the entire offseason has been with the intention he's back and ready to go by the time they play the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Same with A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown fought through his, his knee injuries all last year. And yeah, I mean, if he could play with that stuff and he had two cleanups in early February. I don't know if they're cleanups. We don't know how serious they were, but he had surgery on both knees in early February. That's and, a long time. And... I, I, I'm not trying. I'm not. I'm, I'm connecting the dots here because it's a storyline to follow. Um, Ryan Suckup had a knee procedure, and was not the same after. He had a setback in the off season. And if the same guy's doing all this stuff, and there's and Lawan's not ready to go by week one, that is a huge storyline. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same guy because they go to different people. I would imagine Andrews is involved uh, 
somewhere. Yeah, I, I again, I doubt it's all the same and it's all connected, but. To me, Bud if Dupree. You, if, if we're seeing setbacks after initial surgeries, yeah. that's a well, theme. If, I didn't that mean needs to, to stop. suggest there was a setback. Okay. Okay. I was just counting the long range of recovery. Well, you said he could miss the first months. couple games, and I, I'm just, think- I was just doing the ten months okay. as the long okay. range. Um, you know, for a guy. Better to clarify slow, now than that's just got a slow let recovery. It go in the to me, the biggest injury concerns are Dupree, which would be a very fast ACL. And I think we let's let's go by one point. I think with Dupree, the expectation is when you signed him, it would. He may not be Bud Dupree that we saw in November of last year in September of this year. Right. It may take, take a little a while to crank up. And then Farley, because the recoveries from yeah. these, you don't, uh, you don't know. There's, there's a wide variance. Like I think I found a study that said from 2.7 months to 8.3 months because there's such a wide variance in a mm-hmm. microdisectomy recovery for an athlete. And uh, I know this now for some personal experience because my wife's going through the same thing. Uh, and Chad, your wife's had a similar uh, deal. Core strength is huge when you've got uh, a loss of volume from a disc. When they take out a piece of a disc, the way to make up the stability that you lose from that is core strength. So I'm sure what Caleb Farley's working on inside, outside of uh, you know the regular stuff, is building super core strength that's going to make up for the loss of volume in that disc. David Reed can also speak yeah. to all yeah. this. David, how's your core strength? <laughs> Did you see him swing that club? <laughs> he's, he's in a, there flexing for us muscle. right now. Core strength looks great. Washboard abs. <laughs> David was you know about so, David Reed. you saw he's just so Man, uh, uh, the, pining for his days of athletic glory when he was swinging the golf club. The at, man takes his shirt at, off, uh, looks like Jason Momoa. That's amazing when you see it. Look, let, let's, let's circle back briefly and just put a bow on the Ferkser discussion. Did you get a sense, Paul? from the comments from Vrabel when he said, you know, he is who he is. We, and I, I even he wasn't think, diminishing him. I think Downing has also said Swaim is the guy that's going to be the in, inline gap blocker, right? The down gap well, blocker. Well, Downing did the thing where he said, you know, Ferkser's obviously working on his yeah. blocking and, and Swaim's and working Swaim's on his the, catching and we want versatile guys. But the comment was also made, well, those guys will be evaluated when the pads go on in, what, seven weeks from now. Is that a underlying message to Ferkser that you better come ready to bang some hats in training camp? Well, yes and no. I mean, they're not. I think they're pretty good at not asking guys to do things they can't do. And Ferkser, to this point, has what? He's dug out a well, safety or a nickel. Not that he's off the roster, but I'm saying for the role, the, the number one role, like the, the John O. Smith role, it, we, you know as well as I do, they'd like to have one guy instead of two. Yeah. Doing that role, are they are they insinuating here that in they're happy with the two they have and splitting it, or do you think that they're considering bringing another guy in if Ferkser isn't physical enough when the pads come? No, on? I think they're happy with what they have, but they they know that maybe Ferkser can do that once in a while, but he's not going to full time be able to take on an outside linebacker or a defensive end. Now let let me bring up Delaney Walker, who has been. Great to us. We know him well. Friend of the show. He's not someone... This is a message to the fans that have tweeted me asking about Delaney Walker signing here. He's not someone you sign right now. Delaney Walker, and see if you guys agree. To me, at 37 years old, he is a player that you would consider bringing in for a workout and signing him. If you have someone on your tight end roster go down at the end of September, middle of October, 
and you need someone to plug and play for a two-month stretch, for a month and a half while someone comes back. You bring him in on the veteran minimum because you, you know he's reliable in what he can do. He's not someone you sign in June. I don't think he's someone you sign at all. I mean, uh, one of the things, uh, Delaney Walker is a phenomenal player, but your time comes. His game was built in good part on speed. He hasn't gotten any faster. Right. He had lost some of his speed, and they decided after 2019 they were done with him. Because of his injury. But also because of his age. His injury, his age, his price. All right, the price is down. Certainly he'd be playing for the minimum now. Speaking of a guy who had a clean-up and was never the same, Delaney Walker. Yeah, but, I mean, the injury was a significant injury. Then the cleanup yeah, came after the significant injury. But when you're in your mid-30s and you suffer an injury like that, we knew when he suffered that injury, we're like, oh, right. he's probably right. never going to be the same. We hate that because we love him, loved him as a player, love him as a guy. Um, but, look, he, he tried uh, – you know, San Francisco's a pretty good judge of talent, uh, offensive weaponry, Kyle Shanahan. He went out there and tried out the same time as Michael Pruitt, who we also know well. And Michael Pruitt beat him out for a job with Michael San Pruitt's probably considerably cheaper right now, too. Yeah, I don't think Delaney Walker can ask for a lot of money right now. Yeah, but he can sit and wait on an injury to take place and get paid virtually the same as Michael Pruitt and not be on a roster in June. He can go be on his yacht that he just purchased. Yeah. And then he can come in and camp or come in in September, October and play well, for a contender. He didn't go try like out to not get a job. Just brought up, by the way. He that's purchased enough. one. That's yeah. a nice option. He didn't go try out to not get I'll a take job. That one. So if he had beaten out Michael Pruitt, he would have signed. I think that's a message, though, that he's serious about it by doing the tryout. Yeah. I don't, th- I don't think the Titans uh, – listen, I know there are a few examples of guys coming back. Javon Kurse came back. Justin McCarrens came back. And those are different regimes and stuff. But I have a pretty strong sense that when Mike Vrabel's done with a guy and Mike Vrabel's a guy who favors the young, it's a super, super long shot to see somebody like Delaney Walker resurface. They need you to go find to be- the next Michael Pruitt off somebody's practice squad who could come in and fulfill some of the role. Well, I mean, if that they're looking to find the next Michael Pruitt off a practice squad, they've got these dudes on the bottom end of their roster. I mean, yeah, Forrestal. Whoever. But, but if you're looking for a veteran who's willing to get his hands dirty and block, uh, but it can also get out in a pass situation in a one-on-one and, and make a contested catch, Delaney can do that. I mean, he's more reliable than some of these undrafteds that are being brought in to compete against Jeff Swaim and Anthony Ferguson. The two names are Briley Moore, who's a 6'4", 240, so he's roughly the same weight. He's from Kansas State. And Miller Forrestal from Bama, uh, from, from Alabama, Bama, who apparently had a lot to do with making their run game go there. And then what is, what is Pinckney doing? I have no idea why Pinckney would stay away from all of these OTAs, the former Vandy guy. But, you know, it kind of makes you see why a guy, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys know better than I am, was like a preseason All-SEC, but then not a postseason anything, and then not well, he drafted. Was, he was good, That though. was the year where it went south for, for Derek Mason yeah, and, and that it, offense. Right. But Kalijah he was, Lipscomb was opting out and, and right. pretending to be hurt. He was projected first or second round going into that season. And then what happens, right? Yeah. So, I mean, partly Vanderbilt program, but clearly partly him, too. And now yeah. choosing that something away from the Titans is better than being with it's, the Titans when there's prime opportunity at your position, it's not a smart thing. Now, here's another media example. If Pinckney, <laughs> in the next three days, was in a locker room that was open, uh, we'd all go talk to him. Uh, is he going to be on a Zoom call for us? Of no. Of course not. 
<laughs> of course not. <laughs> but if to be fair to the, the media relations department, if they made Pinkney available over some other vets right now as one of the three players out on a Zoom call, you'd be upset about that too. Yeah, I mean, it's no win for him. I, I, I know. I want to so be, you're just, he's coming off the field. I want to be able to stop be able him to and say, hey, him. where you been? Yeah. Coming up, Omaha. That's where we see Tennessee and Vandy. It's straight ahead on Outkick 360. Hang with us. Outkick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour rolls on alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. We hope that you'll follow along on Instagram. We do a pre-show and post-show every single day, the warm-up and the debrief. You can join us there on the Instagram story. And, of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Many of you have. Uh, several of you watch on Twitter, and that's great, too. Uh, but if you subscribe on YouTube, you will be alerted just by ringing the bell. Search out Outkick360, and you can know every time we go live and every time we post new content to the page. So go to the channel on YouTube. Outkick360 is where you can find us. It's always a lively chat. On the Outkick 360 YouTube page, a lively one is going on right now with today's show. And something just happened in the YouTube chat I did not even know that you could do. Mm. Shane put a message up and then retracted the message. Really? It says, Shane, message retracted. All he said was, would you guys stop acting like your doctors? When we were talking about recovery time for ACL and bringing up the questions about the surgery. And then he later retracted the message. Oh, Didn't okay. even know that you could do that, but that's what happened. Here's what uh, Reed Hobby Hobdy says. How many teams are we are are we shaking our heads at saying if only they had a solid tight end they'd be a contender? This is the the dismissive thing. Like right. my team now doesn't have a good tight end, so good teams don't need tight ends. The Titans historically have been super tight end reliant. And you can't just look at a team and say it's got a deficiency at a position, but it's good everywhere else, so they're fine. Well, that's a mistake. Yes, you can be weak at a spot and be okay, and that's the hope with the Titans. But you can't just say, well, they can be a zero at tight end and be fine. I think that's a little naive. Well, so we're going to expand this conversation later. I know we're about to talk about something different. But he asked the question, how many times does the team say we're one tight end away from being a contender? I would turn it on Reed and say, how many times do you say we're a pass rush away or a being able to cover anyone away from being a contender? That's the true question with the Titans. Sure. That's where we're going to be asking the questions, did they improve enough with offseason additions and changes to see if they're going to be a contender? Right. And the way you offset those things is by being supremely good on offense, and to be supremely good on offense, you need to not have a hole. And they should be supremely good on offense. They should be. And they could be really supremely good on offense if they had not ignored tight end. The Tennessee Volunteers supremely good on offense yesterday, Chad. I, wow. I, I did not watch much of the college baseball games this weekend. I am not a college baseball fan. Uh, that is no surprise to anyone that follows on Midday 180. Uh, but for Outkick 360 purposes and the Tennessee Power Hour, props to Tennessee and Vandy for making it to Omaha. This is a home away from home for Tim Corbin's group, what, five of the last 11 years? Uh, but that's where about where, and I'll raise my hand here, that's where my knowledge of these teams stop. I know they made it to Omaha, and I know that Tennessee put up 15 runs on LSU yesterday. It was amazing watching my Twitter feed yesterday because I've never not tweeted about something, 
and something good happened for my team. Yeah. And I get blown up on Twitter about something good happening for my team. Oh, here comes Chad Withrow with the college baseball love now that his Vols, V-A-W-L-S, are in the College World Series. He's a big Vols baseball guy now. Look, I think it's great if your team is good at baseball. I've, I've never... I've never argued otherwise. I think it's great that Vandy has a great baseball program. They're probably the best program in America right now in that sport. It's terrific. Pay Tim Corbin whatever it takes to keep him there. It's a good source of pride for the university. My point on college baseball is very simple. It is an easy sport to not care about and to turn off. And I say this to every Vandy fan out there who's tweeting me. You did not give a damn about Vandy baseball until Tim Corbin got there. I started working on a show in town in 2004, and for the 22 years of my life before then, I didn't even know Vandy had a baseball program. You probably didn't either. I'll say the same for Tennessee fans jumping on the bandwagon. They didn't care when they sucked. They turned it off. It's an easy sport to turn off. Now, the difference between that, a niche sport, and one that uh, is mainstream, you're not turning off college football when your team's bad. You're cranking it up and getting more upset. You're also assuming you're that more college baseball is on TV all the time, and it's exactly. not. Exactly. You're getting more angry when that happens. Again, this is not to knock college baseball because I did watch some college baseball over the weekend. I saw some entertaining things, and I saw some really good atmospheres at some of these games. But it is still very much a niche sport. Now, there is a passionate, small niche around it of diehards of some of these programs. No doubt about it. But I'll say the same thing to Tennessee that I would say to Vandy, there's a lot of Tennessee fans jumping on the bandwagon. I know Paul jumped on a tweet that I retweeted over the weekend. Mark Pankratz, who's a former assistant coach for Bruce Pearl at Tennessee, said, Tennessee's not a football school. It's not a basketball school. It's not a baseball school. It is a program whose fans are passionate and passionate and desperate to attach themselves to winning. And they are going to go over the top when they're winning at anything. And I think we're seeing that now with Tennessee fans in this. So now, Paul, thirsty for Paul, a W. Paul went on the, well, they also said they're the best fans or the most passionate. He said they're unmatched when they have a team that's winning. Like, that's something to be proud of. Like, uh, great. As soon as somebody wins, you guys are phenomenal fans. Everybody's phenomenal fans when they're following a winning that team. Is, that is a lot of fan bases. Yeah, of course. And look, the, but not a lot of fan bases are putting 90,000 fans in the stands for football games, and they suck. And Tennessee consistently does that as well. So it's not just about when they're winning. But the desperation level of to have anything good is there for Tennessee. So they've attached themselves to it. I'll say the same. We'll keep it in the Tennessee Power Hour with Vandy. The desperation level to be great at something was there. So a lot of Vandy fans attach themselves to baseball, and rightfully so. I'm not knocking Tennessee fans for jumping on the Vol baseball bandwagon because it makes them happy to watch a team that wins and watch a team with some edge and some swagger about them. I, I've got no issues with that. Um, I, but I think the, the gist of the tweet is correct in that Tennessee fans are so starved for success that they are going to be the quickest. And look, there's just more of them. There are a lot more Tennessee fans than there are Vanderbilt fans. So when you have a lot of fans, it's going to be louder on social media. It's going to be louder everywhere else. How, I, how was the block party? I mean, there were. It didn't look as massive. No, as I there expected. were a few like, hundred people out there. I guess. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I saw things on I saw things on Twitter that was like you know thousands upon, and I'm like. I would have thought there would have been more than that. I I didn't see it. I don't. It, there was it, also it, some weather, right? It, oh, it was. Yeah. Now that was uh, in terms of a fan base sticking through it. It was bad. 
Like the weather, yeah. it was raining. The mound hard had a Saturday rim night. of water around it even after they yeah. dealt with. Now the again, I wasn't that. there, but the shot they showed on ESPN the whole time, which was a pretty small area, and it showed the, the they could have done better with the big screen. Tennessee could have. It was yeah. not very big, but the fans that were there, it was not. It was like a extremely small party in the plaza for a Preds game. Like it's tiny. Like, you know, three years removed from the Stanley Cup run, party in the plaza, <laughs> is what it looked like to me compared to that crowd. Um, Wasn't look, nothing. Tennessee fans are uh, enthusiastic about it, and, you know, rightfully so. I'll say the same to Vandy fans, and I've said this throughout. If, if you love college baseball, great. I'm not going to sit here and tell you not to like college baseball or not to be excited about your team. I'm just telling you that it is a sport that's easy to turn off when you're not good. The one and that, guy. that's consistent with most every program out there. Yeah. Minus a few. I've got two things. Just the, the one thing he was holding up, like look at these massive ticket prices in, in Knoxville for these games. To which I'd say, well, in Nashville and Austin are not college towns per se. There's a lot of other stuff going on in Nashville and Knox uh, and Austin. They're two of the most happening cities in the country. And if you go to Starksville, the place seats 14,000 as opposed to 4,900 or whatever they hold in Knoxville. So those are factors. Here's the other thing that just makes it complicated, right? None of the three of us are really into it. But we might pay att some attention now. The, but the you Arkansas get NC State finish was great. Right. Like, I, I was watching that, the atmosphere, the fact that the, they're throwing that cops kid for 140 pitches or whatever it was in the game, and there's a lot of controversy over that. It, it was a great atmosphere and a great finish to the game with, with Arkansas losing. But we do what we're supposed to, right? It's big. It's at its biggest now, and we pay attention to things at their biggest if we don't pay attention to them all the time. And then we get bashed for paying attention to it when it's at its biggest. Like, you guys don't follow it until now. Like, that's some crime in that. Well, we don't follow it. We admit we're not, fan we're not faking anything, right? We're not that into it. We're not, we're not really oh, into it. We're, we're, you know, we like the the lighter and the rocker storylines and stuff like that. We we respect Corbin a great deal. Vitello's a, a, an interesting story. We've talked about that. We'll pay some attention to it now that it's the College World Series, which is about appropriate for what we do show wise and as sports fans. So, but you're going to bash us for like plugging in now, which is a major turnoff to your sport. Like, we've always said this, like, when people come, Preds fans are like this, too. Like, if you're not in at the very beginning, you can't come in. You're not, you're not invited to watch. Turn your TVs off. Don't, don't, don't you dare. If you weren't there for the first pitch of the freezing cold game in February, we don't want you. I, well, I don't really understand I, I, I that. I'm a soccer fan and for U.S. soccer. Like, and if you're interested in U.S. soccer now... I want to invite you in and talk to you about it and welcome aboard. I'm not like, no, because you weren't there when the U.S. suffered through the non-qualification for the last World Cup. <laughs> I won't allow you to come be a fan now. I, Stay I, away. What it, sense does that make? I do think there's a chance for the sport to grow in popularity. I think they're shooting themselves in the foot when they don't have great television coverage of the sport. and I've, I've been on record about that. I did see some things that I like. I think it has an opportunity to grow. But... People calling me a hypocrite. Let, let me be completely clear. He loves UT. Let he me, likes things that are good for UT. Let me be completely clear. Being good in baseball for any school is great. Is good. It's it's better than not, for sure. I would take four to five straight years of nine to ten wins in football without a single title of any kind 
to two straight national championships in baseball. <laughs> if you told me right now Tennessee football could win nine or ten games in the SEC. Tweet that out, kid. And be, about three? And be a top 15 team go three. Three for five straight. years, I would, take that, if, I would take that over Tennessee winning a baseball national title in the next two weeks. Hands down. Would absolutely take that. I am not a hypocrite about this. I love my university. I went to school at Tennessee. I support them in everything. I hope they go to Omaha and win a national title. It'd be great for the fan base. It'd be great for that program. It'd be great for Tony Vitalo. Being good at something, better than not being good at it. But make no mistake about it, I would gladly take football and men's basketball being better than baseball winning a national title. That's I'm consistent with this. I think that's and I guarantee reasonable. you, if you told a Vandy fan right now, you could win 10 games in football the next two years. First time in your program's history, by the way. Vandy's never won 10 games in a season. Two of the next five years you could do that or win a national title in baseball right now. What do you think Vandy fans would take? The Whistler takes the baseball title. <laughs> well, the Whistler would be there whistling in football games, too, if that were the case. He's going to be able to throw out the first pitch. Um, coming up, a pro golfer has to uh, or chose to withdraw after uh, a four-hole stretch in the opening round of the PGA Tour this past weekend. One other quick thing, Hutton, on, on the college baseball and the quality of what I saw this week. I saw some very quality play from college baseball players, better than I've seen when I've watched recently. It was a home run derby in Knoxville yesterday, which was entertaining to watch with the heat and humidity and everything else. The umpires of the college baseball game flipping back and forth between a Braves-Marlins game and some college baseball, the home plate umpires in their strike zones are atrocious. And that is Consistently that compared to Major atrocious. League, which are atrocious. Oh, well, no. Major League Baseball, I mean, it is like watching standard def versus high definition the way they see it. It is so much better. I saw three pitches in the Vandy ECU game that the ECU pitcher threw right down the middle that were called a ball. And then they would call a strike two feet outside. There was one where the catcher for ECU, this was, the, I think, the last inning where they, they lost on, on Saturday, is just standing there, and the pitcher is just staring into the eyes of the umpire. Are you kidding me? I mean, it was right belt high down the middle, and he just stood up and called it a ball. It was weirdly bad, and that just wasn't in that game. That's one example. I'm sure the strike zone was bad for Vandy also. It's terrible, some of the home plate umpires in college baseball. Sad. The topic we can get into, I'm making a note of this, we can get into this chat tomorrow maybe during the Tennessee Power Hour is minor league baseball against college baseball and, and how you can I, – I would be recruiting against minor league baseball right now uh, for, you know, Chad's mentioning the quality of play. Uh, Vanderbilt's a great example of their pitching staff and how good they are. Um, and we can discuss tomorrow on the, the, the leverage that college baseball has right now over minor league baseball where you don't have to spend two or three years riding a bus and living in the slums. You can come on campus, uh, NIL's about to take place. Um, you can ramp up your, your profile, profile a, a much, much larger profile, make about the same amount of money, and go win national titles. Well, and, yeah. and not live a life where you're scrambling day to day. You can also, you know, Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter, two great examples. Yep. Probable, what, top ten picks? Yes. Kumar Rocker, maybe over, overall number one yes. pick, both playing for the same team. They're going to be fast-tracked to the major leagues as soon as they're drafted after possibly winning two national titles at Vandy for Kumar Rocker. Maybe would have won another one last well, year I think, had they played the season. I think Vanderbilt's already been doing this in their recruiting pitch, and now more and more teams can uh, across the college baseball landscape. 
Uh, coming up, crazy stretch that uh, Paul alerted me to from the PGA Tour. We, we discussed that and much more on OutKick 360. Time to get rich, boys. Time to get rich. $5 bet tonight on the two-leg parlay wins you 1066 plus 213 are the odds. I am going with the Clippers minus five and the 76ers money line this evening. Look, Philly money line at Atlanta, a series that they lead 2-1. Clippers minus five trying to even the series against the Jazz. Let's load up. Go bigger if you want to. Go $5 if you're on the stretch that we're on right now. It is time to get back to our winning ways on this show. Let me give everyone a lesson out there. If you think like a winner and you act like a winner, well, damn it, you are a winner. And that's what we're doing right now. <laughs> we are thinking and acting like winners on this show. And because of that, even if we don't win <laughs> tonight, which is We're possible, calling ourselves based on winners. a losing streak. We, that's what we're doing. We behave and carry ourselves like winners for that reason. We're off the schneid tonight. Hutton's got a winner for us. We're doing this. The parlay losing streak ends tonight. And if you're a if you have never used FanDuel before, FanDuel.com slash OK360, you're a guaranteed winner tonight. FanDuel.com slash OK360. You can go up to $1,000 on a risk-free bet, and you get that back in site credit if you lose. So go to FanDuel.com slash OK360 for the risk-free first bet up to $1,000. Mark Hensby, he's been a pro golfer for 26 years, and he took a 10-stroke penalty on tour this past Thursday. He's 49 years old, and he had a 10-stroke penalty because he used the wrong ball. He hit it into the water on a 633-yard par five and had to take a drop. And he apparently picked up a, the, a, a wrong ball on the driving range as he was warming up, a competitor's golf ball. And you're supposed to have the same exact golf ball in your bag. On. The only difference, the slightest little difference, is a mark. It's the same brand. It's a small dot on the ball. And he played four holes and was on a green and realized, he's like, oh, they, they're, they're repackaging the oh, brand that we use. He showed his caddy. He was like, yeah, the, you know, it's a new logo. What's up with this dot? And he's like, yeah, I'm, that's, I'm not familiar with that new dot. Well, it's just like a, it's an upgraded version of the one he was using, but it's a golf ball that looks almost identical, and he picked it up on the driving range. He was assessed a two-stroke penalty for every hole that he had played with that ball. So he took a 10-stroke penalty. He went from having a 76 to an 86, and he withdrew from the tournament after one round of golf. Can you imagine the realization when it happens? Yeah. Like, this isn't this isn't my ball. <laughs> you know, like you know, like that sinking feeling in your stomach. It's almost like when you left your phone somewhere, and you know when you check, like we just left a place and went somewhere else, and my phone's and the, back there. It's that that feeling times ten, literally, with a ten-stroke penalty when that happens for him. And you know, they they do this so that like you can have the the Pro V one. You can have a, a certain ball with a low, a lower spin rate. For certain, and they don't hole. want guys to be able to go hole to hole and get a golf ball out of their bag that fits a certain hole or a certain distance. They want you to have to use the same equipment every single hole, which I I, yeah, I get why the rule reasonable. is in place. Um, but and it's strictly enforced. I know that had to be. I, I mean, you almost feel like there should be a more 
obvious distinguishing mark. Yeah. But, I mean, we know how golf works. It's on you if, if you don't have it right. And it's uh, not like one has, like, red. You know how some, the same brand, like a Titleist brand, you'll have red script or there'll be a certain number on the ball. Uh, it's not, there was, it was almost identical except for a very small black mark on there. It's harsh. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, something I'll uh, end up doing. I'm playing golf this afternoon. Now, I, you're uh, allowed to use whatever ball you want. I will, and I'll I'll probably have a ten-stroke hole if I had to guess on one of these. That'd be a now, good. You'll hole be for getting me. more out of your bag. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we yeah. know that. Yeah, whatever, well, whatever sure I reach in and grab. That's right. Where, you, where is this round? Uh, local course, Temple Hills, uh, this afternoon. Oh, Dick LeBeau's old course. Yes, yes. Uh, looking forward to Simon's it. Simon's best friend lives in Temple, Temple Hills. Really? Yeah. We're going to win the parlay tonight? I'm telling you, if you think and act like a winner, Dude, we've been thinking and acting like a winner for a long time. It's not about results. It's not about results. It's going to happen. I'm telling it's you. We, we continue to just chop wood, Paul. We're just chopping wood, and we bring the same attitude every day. Eventually, Here's we're going to break through. I'm writing down some things I want to pick if it's my turn, and I'm writing down some people we ought to start to think about having as guest pickers. I... Uh, give the Monday award to the best fan base. We've, we've talked a lot about Vandy and Tennessee baseball fans and, and how they came out and supported their teams. Uh, of course, the the Euros are going on. We saw the French Open and the great scene there with Djokovic. Um, Wrigley Field last night oh. takes the honors. Yes. Best fan base, best fan attendance, uh, and best overall sports atmosphere with the beer cup snake that they created in the outfield at That's Wrigley. So many cups. That How place was hopping last night. So the, was this the first weekend they had full attendance yes. for yes. games? For all, all, all those games? It was awesome to see. And I loved, I, I, was, uh, I was at Catfish Jake's event, but it was on the television. We were uh, watching it, Phil Noel and I from Titans Radio were looking up. And one would fall off. And how quickly the people would react and get it, it and then put it back in there, like repairing the snake the whole time. Once one would fall off. They, so the whole stadium, just every time you finish a beer, you're just you passing pass it over to the middle? Still, it seemed like an inordinate number of beers. Well, to not have anyone, <laughs> you, know, you still got to do a good job of holding them together. Oh, yeah. But like once there was There's any separation, pressure. they would quickly get the cup back it's in like there. It's like a surgeon and repairing yes. a, a, a It's like artery. a pit crew. Yeah, um, the the drive to survive show. I'm watching the pit crews. It was like a pit crew doing work. The whole stadium. I would have loved to have seen so the, like at the end of the game how they decided the to disassemble this thing. So someone tried to do the math to figure out how, how many, many, and it was upwards of thirty thousand dollars worth of beer that it would have cost you to go and fill up and create this cup snake that weaved all the uh, way through the down. fan base, all the way down to the field. It was and then terrific. like uh, you know you had the security down at the base of the of the wall there like tearing off part of it so it, it, it would disconnect at the end of the wall instead of falling down to the ground and continuing yeah, they should have just turned it back up turn it back up people we, turn it back we up. need to create this at the 360 masters next year whatever our next big <laughs> event is we uh can we span the width of the entire base all of them with one <laughs> not even beer snake just a beer pipe that goes from the first bay to the end at the Masters. Next it year. went from the upper section of center field beneath the scoreboard at Wrigley to the top of the lower center field section. That's how long it, it went down. It and was a thing of beauty. It, it was. 
It was it was so prop, props to David Reed's fan base. That's the Chicago art. Cubs. David Reed's out on the Cubs and baseball, as far as we're I tied know. for the division I'm, lead. I'll tell you, who I'm out on the Braves increasingly day by day because they play losing baseball. Can they get above 500? Just one no. time. They get to 500 and they go on a losing streak. They, they got four? to 500. They, they lost four in a row. They won yesterday, so now they're three games under 500. I've never seen a team, and I said this even in a good year last year when they were great that can get multiple runners in scoring position with no or one out and won't score. Twice yesterday I saw second and third no outs, and they find a way Mm. to not put the ball in play in order to score at least one run consistently. It's amazing. My sister-in-law from Philly joined my wife from Philly on a weekend when the Yankees twice lost to Philly. Aaron Boone has moved from saying everything's fine, we'll be okay, to saying, yeah, yeah, we, we have an issue. Well, the Yanks are what eight games back, yeah, from nice. the Rays. The thing with the Braves is they're three games under five hundred, but they're only five games back from the division lead. Yeah. Like it, no matter how many games they slide back, they're Everybody always within comes reach. With yeah, and we're yet to be the All Star break. So maybe there was that year that Chad denounced the Braves. Uh, Paul did that with the Yankees most recently too. And I wonder which of you denounces uh, first. Will denounce first? You know, I denounce the Orioles <laughs> once it turns to May. Denounce and renounce. Yeah, April's over, which means the Orioles' season's you over. You did really uh, renounce. I. Uh, it was as much renouncing as just I gave up on them. I said I just I'm not going to pay as much attention the rest of the year because they were so bad. I don't know what it is that I'm watching more. They're worse, and I'm watching more. I can't do it. When, when the Braves are struggling, I'll follow the score, but I'm not tuning in as much. I just can't do it. Follow along with us on the NBA tonight. Philly money line against Atlanta. Clippers minus five. It's the 360 parlay. We are back to recap the biggest headlines. We'll talk Aaron Rodgers, Julio Jones, and much more tomorrow on Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Do not block the box. I insist on this. And also tonight, just be doubly sure. Like, imagine Simon asking, have you locked the locks? Have you turned on the alarm? Do those things. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.